Welcome, folks, to Brand of Man Ministries, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ. I'm your host, Will Hunsaker. Today, we're going to turn our Bibles to the last chapter of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And Paul essentially here is going to continue his encouragement to the Ephesians to live out the reality of what Christ has done, this time in how they conduct themselves within the family as it pertains to children, parental-child relationship. We already touched on the familial conduct with husbands having authority over their wives in our last episode. Now he's going to focus here for a few verses on the children and the parents. So let's look at these first four verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verses 1 through 4. Now, in these first three verses, it's interesting that, that Paul appears to consider the local church, which he's writing to most likely house churches in Ephesus, to include the entire family, children also. We don't get a lot of that in the New Testament, little snippets here and there, but, but this is evidence that the early church was very instrumental in the, li- in the lives of children because Paul is giving some imperatives to the children and the parents. Now, the emphasis here that, that Paul places on the obedience of the children, it fits with the theme of mutual submission that he's been pushing of all Christians. Now, it's a little bit stricter here with the kids. They're told to obey. It's not a light-hearted imperative either. It's not a flippant one. Paul puts some substance behind it, just as he did with the authority of husbands over their wives. It wasn't just something Paul decided to say because of personal reasons. So the first thing he points out is he says, hey, it's the right thing to do. Now, this is standard behavior. Doesn't don't have to be a, a Christian. It's not even Christian theology, really. All cultures at this time, for the most part, uh, expected children to be obedient to their parents. The second thing he says is, this is God's law. So these folks were very familiar with the Ten Commandments. And Paul combined the Fifth commandment from Exodus 20.12 with the fifth commandment from Deuteronomy 5.16. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may turn out well for you, that you may live long on the earth. Verses 2 and 3. Now, an interesting point here is that the Jews would divide the commandments in half because two tablets that Moses brought down from Sinai. They put that fifth commandment in the first tablet, which is all about, which speaks directly, really, to honoring God, which is just an interesting point. So the honoring your mother and father falls into that section of the Ten Commandments. First commandment with a promise attached to it, and it was a material, physical, and spiritual promise of prosperity, all right, so that you may turn out well for you, and that you may live long on the earth. Now, I should note here, though, that the obedience that Paul is talking about in the fifth commandment is a generalized statement. It was encompassing all the normal and cultural aspects of a parental relationship with their children, the normal family unit. 
because any of us can identify directives today, and I'm sure back then, from very unworthy parents that should not be obeyed. So one final point here is that the Bible, and I touched on this earlier, the Bible here from Paul does not uh, offer a cutoff. Well, it doesn't in the Ten Commandments either. Does not offer a cutoff from obedience due to age. Like, okay, when you get you know 21, you don't have to honor your parents anymore. It never does that. So this imperative appears to be focused on honoring your parents at all times. And that fits because they talked about caring for your parents in a, you're essentially in, in these days, the children were their retirement plan, essentially. So to sum this whole first three verses up, Paul says children are to obey their parents because why? It's the right thing to do. It's written down as God's law. And it was in line with the gospel. He says, obey obeying in the Lord. So it was in line with his gospel message. In verse four, Paul shifts to the fathers for a minute. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's verse four. Now, again, this fits perfectly with Paul's earlier statement, emphasizing that through the atoning work of Christ, there's now one family of God. And it is, it is the Father's responsibility to discipline and teach of the Lord. He said that earlier in, in chapter three. He said, for this reason, I bend my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. So it's an all-inclusive thing Paul is pointing at. Now, in these last few verses, Paul's going to shift what amounts today as a very uncomfortable set of verses. And it's often ammunition for the critics of the Christian faith. It reads this way, starting in verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to people, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive this back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Verses five through eight. Now, the idea of slavery makes the world bristle really today. And and it, and rightfully so. However, during this period of time, this first century period and before, slavery was a a universal norm. They really made up the bulk of the workforce, up to eighty percent in Rome, and it included not just captives from war, or purchased slaves, or even the poor. It also included highly educated folks doctors, teachers, philosophers. It was also very culturally acceptable, in a, in a specifically in a way to resolve or reconcile debt. They, they called it a debtor's prison. I would encourage you when you read uh, sections like this to stay oriented to the proper context to avoid any bias, because we look at slavery today and it just uh, puts all kinds of thoughts in our head that they wouldn't have had then. Now, that said, slaves were not thought of as really much more than property, and that often resulted in severe treatment 
in in the pre-Christian area and early Christian areas, eras, and and even beyond. But Paul's focusing on a particular time frame here. the The teaching from Paul is really Christ-centered obedience. He he points that out. Don't don't do things uh, for eye service or to please people, because these are your masters according to the flesh. So revere their position and operate out of the sincerity of your heart as you would to Christ. He's trying to give these slaves a place of hope. So Paul is encouraging them to obey as one would obey Christ, not with a focus on what they do for the earthly masters, but what has a focus on what has already been done for them in Christ, and they're doing their work out of gratitude for him. As a result, their their obedience was essentially rooted in the heart and the soul. The idea applies to us as well, really. Now, of course, we're not dealing with the slave trade right now, but the whole idea of why you do certain things, why you have effort uh, in your work or in your daily chores to Christ is what Paul is saying. He said, when we do work, we're encouraged to do it for Christ. It was, he was saying this to the slaves, but it that could carry forward to us as well. You cook a meal, cook it as though you were serving it to Christ. Yeah, I know that seems uh, a bit far-fetched, but that's essentially what Paul is saying because these, these slaves had no hope, really. They, they had no uh, direction. So he's giving them that. He's saying, look, you're, these are just your fleshly masters. So when you do work, do it for Christ. To make a bed, wash dishes, build a barn, drive a truck. These are all contemporary things, right? Anything really, do it as though it were for Christ. It, it puts a different perspective. Hard to maintain it, but it puts a different perspective for us. Again, Christians do not do these their things in this world, good things. They don't do them for merit. That's the whole idea here. It's that law and gospel distinction. You're doing things not for merit. You're doing things because of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Now, this brings us to the slave owners and overseers. And Paul touches on that in verse 9. He says, and masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. So these folks that Paul's talking to, these these slave owners, these masters, these overseers, they're Christian. They own Christian slaves. And Paul's saying to him, look, I'm going to give you three directives here, and these are going to be ones that have great impact on the practice of slavery for centuries to come. Do the same to them. If you want respect from them, give them. Give them respect. Stop threatening them. Do not overuse your position of authority just because you want to or you think you can. And then the last point that Paul makes to him really isn't a, an imperative. It's, it's more uh, of a reason. And he says, remember, you are a slave too. Your master is not here. He's in heaven. And so is theirs. And he views you and your slave exactly the same. So that was very, very innovative speaking for Paul. And for the period of time period, this came directly from Christ to these slave owners. Hey, you better act right. 
Now, this did a lot to bridge the cultural and social gap between Christian slaves and their masters, albeit it didn't, it didn't work out perfectly. But it did a lot to bridge it. Christians really should never condone slavery. Well, of course, we don't, we don't ever want to do that just because the Bible doesn't openly oppose it. All right. But the question is, why doesn't the Bible oppose it? Paul's letters come directly from Christ. But we can look for some contextual answers here uh, of the time that Paul is writing this. The Romans at the time controlled much of the known world. That's indisputable. And slavery was a huge part of their workforce. I think I said earlier, 80% up to. And additionally, the Christian community was a small upstart at this time. So you're looking at this huge Roman empire that relies heavily on slavery and this little teeny weeny tiny Christian upstart that has to uh, worship in homes and hide half the time because they're being hunted and persecuted. They would have absolutely no clout to make any geopolitical changes, none. And if they tried, they would have been annihilated. So I think that in the spreading of the gospel early on, this was one of those things that was allowed to continue for a period of time. Now, second, it was common during this period for many slaves, believe it or not, to earn their freedom at some point. So it wasn't an endless perspective. Many of them saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Many of them were in debt or for other reasons. And many of them actually ended up wealthier than their former masters. Now, the third reason here that during the first century, several Roman decrees, oddly enough, were passed from their Senate, granting several legal rights to slaves that they didn't have prior. So there was a, a movement underfoot. God was working in the empire to improve this situation, albeit it wasn't going to be wiped out at one time. There were things moving in the direction for more humane treatment. Uh, the many cent uh, centuries that followed this, uh, after the formalize, uh, formalization of the biblical canon, the progress of civilization, uh, neither Christians nor non-Christians attempted really to end the institution of slavery. And in fact, oftentimes it returned to some very barbaric practices. Even today, with advanced technology that we have, a high social awareness, modern cultures, um, the practice of slavery is, is still very active and unfortunately thriving. So this isn't something that uh, is encouraged by Christianity today, but we have to keep it in the right perspective. And Paul's perspective was Christ-centered and how you conduct yourself is vertically, not horizontally. Now, this whole last part offers further testimony of the fallen state of humanity. It really does. And because of that, our desperate need for God to change our direction and drive us to his son. Thank you for listening. Now, next up on Open Your Bibles, we will begin to look at putting on the armor of our faith to be strong and bold and courageous in the Lord. Grace and peace to you all. And remember, the Bible cannot mean anything today different than what it did back then.